Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonableist Podcast, aka Audio Quality Roulette. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me, as usual, Eric Green. Eric, uh, how are you on this fine, snowy Monday morning? I am. Uh, I am all right. I suppose. Happy, merry, happy, Blake. Yes. Happy holidays. <laughs> merry, happy, indeed. Uh, Sunday was pretty fun, man. <laughs> as far as games uh, that the outcome is not in question of in mid-December, it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's always fun. I, I shouldn't say that. For the last three years, it's been fun when Vince has come back. Vince Carter, uh, ex-Raptor of some note. Uh, and, you know, you can, if you need Carter's uh star power or nostalgia power to heat up one game on the Raptors 41 home game uh, schedule, you know, Sacramento is not a bad choice. So thanks for going to the Kings this summer, Vince. And Sacramento, thanks for just splurging on veterans. Seriously, it's such a... There's such a it's weird so thing. weird. And the news like, that like, like George I, I Hill got... is like disappointed that they're not pushing for a playoff team. Like, man, you looked at the roster. Yeah, you wanted to be paid twenty two million dollars. It was uh I understand. <laughs> like I, I get I get it. <laughs> but uh look, the players on that roster aren't very good and the Western Conference has many better teams. Maybe 14, maybe only 30. So, uh, this question's come up a couple times about why Vince chose Sacramento Kings over the Toronto Raptors or over the Golden State Warriors to chase the ring or things like that. Uh, obviously, $8 million is a big part of that. The Raptors probably wouldn't have gone over the $2.9 million biannual exception. Uh, they would have had to go into the tax to do so and restructure CJ Miles' deal. Uh, if Vince, I don't think Vince was ever coming on a, on a minimum deal. Uh, Dan Feldman of NBC Sports. Uh, pointed out to Michael Grange and myself yesterday that uh, previously when he was in Memphis, Vince had said that he basically didn't consider minimum contracts real offers uh, because they didn't show (laughs) a certain amount of interest. Uh, But asked about it yesterday, the other thing that Vince Carter said is that something that the Toronto Raptors uh, maybe and the Golden State Warriors for sure could not offer is playing time. Carter's averaging 14 minutes a game. He's only sat out a couple games for the Kings. He started and played 25 minutes against the Raptors on Sunday. So Vince, at age 40, the oldest player in the NBA, uh, flirting with top 10 all-time in games played, which is crazy to think about for a guy who, for a long time, was defined by a lack of love of the game, uh, is going to have played more than almost any basketball player in history. Uh, so it's I don't know I he's think, a, he's in a good spot and seems to be seems to be having fun and the fact that he gets to get out there every so often uh, is important to him. We should all like our jobs at the end of our careers or at the beginning or in the middle, but you know especially in the end because there's so many. I mean, maybe this doesn't hold true for basketball players or professional athletes, but there are so many people in the end. I think we've all come across this you know personality type or or that are just burnt out by the end of their careers and if vince wants to keep on playing 15 minutes a game for a garbage team because he loves playing that much like that's awesome good for him yeah yeah Uh, so you know obviously the talk came back to after the game you know was this his last visit to the air canada center will he come back 
Uh, and Vince is non-committal on, you know, uh, whether or not he's going to retire. He said some days if you asked him, he'd say, yes, this is his last year. Other days he'd say, uh, no, I've got a few more left in me. Uh, for the most part, he's maintained that he would probably like to play another year. I think he wants to do the 20 for the nice round number. Uh, and, hey, what's the third season being the league's oldest player, you know? Um, yeah. But in terms of a return to Toronto, whether that's as a player or just on a one-day contract sort of thing, he was pretty clear. He said it'll happen, and he didn't make any bones about it. Uh, Eric, I, I know you wrote about Vince Carter for the Athletic Toronto last night. Uh, I don't necessarily want to talk about the that just yet, but in terms of Vince Carter coming back, whether it's as the 15th man on a a minimum contract that Vince wouldn't consider a real offer, or whether it's uh, a one-day off-season deal, a la Paul Pierce and the Boston Celtics. Where are you? Where are you on the Raptors organization and Vince Carter um, doing that when Carter reaches the end of his career? Well, I mean, the one-day thing is a separate thing. They, those one-day contracts have never done much for me, except uh, and like uh, I guess. As a fan, like when Roy Halladay re-signed with the Jays for a one-day contract, I guess that was neat. But as like a sport observer, I just don't care. And the two don't seem to be a fit right now. And, and this could be wrong. But, you know, if Carter wants to play next year legitimately, and that's what he just said, like he likes having a role, uh, the Raptors you know, with Norm Powell and DeMar DeRozan and DeLon Wright and CJ Miles and and OG Ananobi. Like, they don't seem to be needing another wing, uh, you know, and all those guys are under contract. And uh, so, I, I, I don't know, weirder things, a lot weirder things have happened. But if Carter wants still is holding out the same tone, as he is now uh, next year or in July, I should say, I don't really see the fit, but it's nice that, you know, old wounds have healed and there's mutual admiration between uh, player and team. So the focus of your piece was kind of that, um, you know, there is that mutual admiration and wounds have healed. And a large part of that is that the Raptors are no longer defined by Vince Carter. They, you know, Vince Carter was their, biggest figure the the player who kind of got them on the map and helped grow basketball in Canada so immensely and then once he left there was this decade of just kind of nomadic wandering the NBA landscape looking for any kind of footing Chris Bosh was that for a second and then he left too uh, Andrea Bargnani was never that Raphael Arujo you know didn't didn't get there um, and now the Raptors have coincidentally timing with roughly when uh, Vince returned as a member of the Memphis Grizzlies and got that sort of ceremonial, um, you know, that it, it was kind of like an unofficial, like, okay, everyone's cool now. And a lot of it was because the Raptors had started to get good without Vince. And they've now made the playoffs more years in a row than Vince Carter Raptors ever had. They have gone further in the playoffs than Vince Carter Raptors ever had. Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan have a legitimate case. They'll never be the most important Raptor unless they win a title, but they have cases for best Raptor ever alongside Vince. Uh, so, you know, it is obviously time was going to heal some stuff, but because Vince is still in the league, you know, maybe that would have been slowed down. How big could this have happened and this tone have changed if the Raptors didn't achieve this level of success? Uh, it's a great question, and I don't, you know, I don't know the answer. I think I don't, 
you know, if the Raptors just remained miserable and sometimes snuck into the eighth seed and sometimes and usually didn't, uh, I think there'd still be a lot of bad blood. And especially if like they were struggling off the court and, you know, the diehard fans remained, but there, there wasn't that sort of, you know, ownership level. And, and, you know, that yesterday was the 149th consecutive sellout. And however much of that is padded by, you know, the Leaf season ticket uh, base also, you know, being associated with the Raptor season ticket base. Like that's, you know, this place, this franchise is in a, is in a good place. And that's not where Vince Carter left it. Did he set, did he set it up to maybe in 10 years after his exit for it to be thriving a bit more? I wouldn't give him all the credit in the world, but he definitely had an impact. Um, but I, you know, if, if the Raptors just remained on that course, I think it would have been tough to, you know, not forget, but at least forgive. It's, it's easier, it's easy to let go of bitterness when you're happier, uh, or happy at Jace. In sports and other things, I would imagine. No, I, I wouldn't know anything about, about that. that though. No. No. Uh, okay, so there was also a basketball game along with all of the Vince Carter sideshow, um, and I shouldn't call it that. It was it did not in any way get in the way of the game. Carter got a good introduction yeah, at was, the start. He got yeah. checked back in when the game when the result was in hand. Uh, got the ovation after a clear path review that uh, affected the point spread and nothing else. Um, well, he also took the clear path foul and. Dave Yeager did not have somebody ready to come in before that clear path fell. Did he not? I thought someone was standing he, at the table. I, well, but if there wasn't the clear path foul, the Kings wouldn't have got the ball back. Is right. My point. Yeah. Like, I think Vince intended uh, to foul. I don't think he intended to have a clear path foul. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I don't, I, obviously not, but he, uh, he took the foul to, I, I mean, I, I'm not in his head, but it seems to me like he took the foul so he could get pulled out of the game. Yeah, I, I, I thought that that was kind of why he got put back in. Except, like, there wasn't going to be a whistle. Jaeger waited too long. Like, yeah. he, he should have done the possession before and told somebody to take a foul. But yeah. he, he wasn't ready. So Vince, uh, anyway, anyway, it was yeah. weird that Vince came in for Bogdanovich, who was playing awesome. If the Kings were still trying to win, yeah. I don't know what it is with people with the last name Bogdanovich loving playing against the Toronto Raptors, but it's definitely a thing. Uh, yes. Uh, okay, so there was a basketball game. There was a basketball game. The Raptors defended horribly for the first half, uh, but scored at will. The Sacramento Kings were shooting you know, an unreasonably high percentage that was going to come down to earth anyway. Uh, the Raptors also just ratcheted up their defensive intensity. We've seen this a lot. I, I will say in the first half, like, Sacramento was on fire. As you mentioned, they were on fire from the mid-range. Like, Garrett Temple was Garrett Templing all over the Raptors. Yeah, from and, and they were running the offense through Costa Kufas at the elbows, and he was hitting cutters. Like, that's not going to hold up. But there yeah. were also things like leaving Buddy Heald wide open in transition. Yes. There were, there yeah, were not- I, I'm not. I'm not trying to uh, take away all the blame to the Raptors, but even while it was happening, I was like, "Yeah, this isn't necessarily sustainable for uh, for Sacramento." Yeah, they're not, like the Raptors defended at a level that was not 60 percent in the first half, and they defended at a level that probably wasn't 30 percent in the second half. But those are what Sacramento shot. Uh, and at the end of the day, they like- shoot 43 percent or whatever it was, yeah. and you win. Yeah, defensive rating around 101. 
the big change in the second half, uh, other than just the intensity overall, uh, Jonas Valanciunas was, he didn't have a bad first half, but he was terrific in the second half. OG Ananobi had a really strong defensive night. Um, DeMar DeRozan, you know, wasn't the playmaker that we've seen him be for most of the season, but he was just kind of getting what he wanted on offense. Um, this was basically, you know, we've seen a lot of this the last month. The Raptors only need to play one good quarter to beat a lot of these teams during a week's stretch of schedule. They've now won three in a row. They've won nine of ten. Uh, they have the number one defense in basketball over the last month, which is a little surprising even with the quality of competition caveats. Uh, Eric, I, I mean, we've kind of had this same podcast three times in a row or three times <laughs> in the last four where everything's going well and you can only, you know, they can only beat the teams that are put in front of them. They can't, you know, you can't criticize them for not beating the Golden State Warriors on a night when they played the Sacramento Kings. Uh, but are you, what have you thought of this 9 and 10 stretch? Like, obviously the Clippers' loss was ugly. Are you encouraged by how they're playing? Is this just kind of the expectation is so high for a stretch like this that you're not really pulling much out of it, good or bad? Um, basketball is... I, I, it's just hard to blow out teams consistently in basketball. And I think we've talked about I mean, this the before. Last three, but, the last three games would suggest otherwise. But this wasn't like the Sacramento game wasn't a blowout. No. And the Phoenix game wasn't a blowout. Like they, those were the last, other than the Brooklyn game, those were the last three games, right? Yeah. Sorry. They weren't blowouts. They were games where it only really took like, there were segments of the game that were blowouts because the Raptors just kind of turned yeah. it on and, and then cruised and let a team keep her hang around. Yeah. Um, I guess my point is like, we, we've talked about like the fallacy of playing a full 48 minutes or, you know, playing a full four quarters, even like that rarely happens. And, you know, nights like Friday against Brooklyn, when I, I think they didn't have, did they not have a great first quarter? There was one, sort of crappy quarter in there. Maybe not. I think it was the second quarter. Um, the bench struggled yeah. again, and then they oh, bounced yeah, yeah, back yeah, yeah, in the fourth. Yeah, the second quarter. You are correct. Thank you for paying attention. Um, but it's hard to do these things over time. But, like, the Raptor, like, like, over 48 minutes or over 82 games or whatever the cliche is. But I'm not, like, blown away by the Raptors' level of play recently. Like, the, the Sacramento game... I was pretty confident they were going to win throughout, and they did, but at no point was I, like, the Raptors are clicking on, you know, are, are firing on all cylinders. And the Phoenix game, frankly, they kind of, you know, had it been 27 other opponents, one of 27 other opponents, they might have lost that one. Uh, so, again, I, I, I think the answer to your question is I, I don't take very much out of it, period, because the Raptors know what is required of them and they're doing that. And eventually, you know, they went through the very tough part of their schedule to start and now they're going through the really easy part that's about to come to an end, uh, too, with the back to back with the Sixers. And, you know, as a whole, you get a pretty good snapshot of where this team is. But, you know, if you want to judge the Raptors by the last week, go ahead. But I don't, uh, I don't see, uh, much to conclude based on it. The, Thank, the you last, Ra- Thank you yeah. to, for listening to Thank you for listening to Raptors Reasonable. We'll see you in two weeks. Yeah, the, the last month, really. I mean, the only the only team above 500 they played in this nine games in nine wins in ten game streak is the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, and they beat them by five. And I, I, after losing memory, to them, if memory serves, like that was also a game where Victor Oladipo didn't miss from the mid range. But um, 
you know, it's, this is a schedule. It's not a very fun thing to say, but, you know, other outside of the occasional game, like beating Brooklyn, like, you know, killing them on a back to back isn't a claim to saying you're playing the best basketball of the season and beating Sacramento by 15 uh, after the game being very close for two and a half quarters doesn't mean they're playing like garbage either. It's just, you know, they're just making their way through things and let me know when they're playing some half decent teams with regularity. Yeah. Soon, soon, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned the Brooklyn game. How dare I? We opened off the top with all this talk about Vince Carter's return. We did not talk about Damari Carroll's return. Senor Swag Daddy. Look, I will say this. It, it was, you know, I under you wrote the thing about the the booing index or whatever. You and I feel a little differently about fans booing. Uh, also, I, that was mostly tongue in cheek. Yes, like, I know. Uh, but Damari Carroll didn't play, so that no one got a chance to boo him anyway. Uh, I'm anti-booing in most cases when it's a returning player. Uh, and I thought Damari Carroll didn't deserve to get booed had he played. He was a great member of the community. He made those comments when he was leaving, yes, but they, you know, he probably shouldn't have said that stuff, but he wasn't wrong. And when he came back on Wednesday, um, the only note I want to make about about that return is that he totally owned up to it, to, to his play. Sure. He said that he didn't play the way that he needed to play, in Toronto. So while he was critical in the offseason about the Raptors style of play, which, again, the Raptors seem to agree with based on how they've changed things, uh, he also owned up to his own play. And I think that's, you know, in a situation like that where a guy got paid well, struggled through injuries, didn't play particularly well, uh, that's all he can really say. He tried to be a good guy in the community and a good teammate in the interim, uh, and then he owned up to not playing particularly well outside of just the fit issue. Listen, like Ryan Wolstadt has said, has all lulled us into a false sense of security where we've said things that we wish we hadn't. What? What? Like, because Damari Carroll's comments were to Wolstadt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Wa- like Waz, just, uh, Waz yeah. gets things out of people. The unreasonableist himself. That's his superpower. <laughs> yeah, he's just, uh, he's just a great listener. That's, also, that's the key. Also, I said this to Waz the other day, but I'm fully... Waz said that, um, sorry, Ryan Wolstat, not, I should call him Waz for people who don't know. Uh, Ryan Wolstat said that it's Damari Carroll's fault that Ryan Wolstat refers to himself in the third person. I think it's the other way around, man. I think, I think being around Ryan Wolstat led Damari Carroll to start referring to himself in the third person and whatever tense it is when you refer to yourself in the third person three times in one sentence. Look, when Damari is healthy, Damari plays Damari basketball. That cannot be denied. Try to deny it. Yeah, it's there's there's no cannot, there's no logic gap there. There's no holes. Yeah, there are no holes. I mean, when when Damari is unhealthy, he also plays Damari basketball, but you know, it's just a different brand of Damari basketball. Anyway, good to see him playing well for uh, a Nets team that is, <laughs> but not fun. in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. The Nets also picked up my boy Milton Doyle on a two way deal the other day. He's been just crushing for the Long Island Nets. So, you have to you claim know. every player in the D-League. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but no. you, do you? Yeah, okay. There so are guys what down percent- there that I don't like, and when they get called up, I'm like, what the heck? This makes no sense. Mm, like who? I don't know. It's happened before. I don't want to just like start randomly being negative about guys. Be a hater. Yeah. I mean, there are guys whose games that I just like haven't thought would translate. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. Guy, okay. one, one, guy, one guy I kind of missed on was like, 
like he, he's signing in Milwaukee now after being waived by Brooklyn. But Sean Kilpatrick, when he was killing it at the G League two years ago, and killing it to the degree that him and Jordan McRae combined for like 70 points or 75 points against the 905 one game, and he was just screaming at the 905 bench, too easy, too easy, the entire game. It was amazing. Um, but I didn't think that, you know, a guy... I didn't think guys like him and Jordan Crawford who go to the G League and just fill it up, you know, there's... I, I was skeptical that those guys would stick in the NBA with teams that don't just need instant offense. Uh, but they both, yeah. you know, they both stuck around and, and Kilpatrick's actually improved a lot. So, yeah, I don't claim somebody everyone. Just, somebody just signed Kilpatrick that wasn't Milwaukee. Brooklyn, correct? Milwaukee, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't claim everyone. Um, this week's D-League Diversion is brought to you by... Yeah. Raptors 905, it's worth the drive to Mississauga. I will tell you, I will say that uh, you will recall in the panel that we did, uh, that you, Sirid, and I did at the start of the season, I was very, very high on Malcolm Miller. You were. Malcolm Miller is, now that he has all the restrictions off his ankle and no minutes restriction or anything like that, he's gone bananas the last couple games for the 905. Uh, the other night, Friday night, he had 23 points on eight field goal attempts at halftime of a game. Wow. Almost three points per, per field goal attempt. I'm excited for him to uh, start instead of C.J. Miles soon. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll get back to the actual Raptors. So <laughs> not a lot to take away from this stretch uh, in terms of the quality of their play. There are some, you know, as people have started making fun of me for talking about too much, uh, it's still more information and you get more data on things like lineups and pairings. Uh, something that's come out of this stretch is that the starters have – been awesome. Serge Ibaka didn't play on Sunday uh, as he rested a sore knee, which I think is just kind of code for we're not going to play Serge 82 games. Uh, they won't say that. They'll call it soreness or whatever, but I think they just don't want Serge Ibaka to play 82 games. Look, anytime sense. you can give Serge Ibaka five days off before they play three times in four nights, it's yeah. probably a good idea, yeah. especially if Zach Randolph isn't playing. Yeah, it all makes sense. So... Even with a Bacchus Sunday, we've gotten more information on the starting lineup. It's something you and I have talked about a lot, uh, at least about the small forward position and Jonas Valanciunas' place in that group. Jonas Valanciunas is on the best 10-game stretch that we've seen him have in the regular season in some time. Uh, this is Indiana Pacers playoff series level of Jonas Valanciunas that's been around for a little bit. We're almost at best, best thirteen that best thirteen game stretch ever, which yeah. is dangerous. No one man terrible. should have all that pasta. Yeah. Um, okay, so we now have 232 minutes of sample for the starting lineup, which still isn't a lot, but it's 100 minutes more than any other lineups played for this team. They are a plus 20.9 net rating. They're just killing teams on the offensive end. And most notable, the defensive rating for that fivesome, and again, quality of competition, all those things, it's down under 100, which has to be at least a little encouraging. You look at the Serge Ibaka Jonas Valanciunas pairing, because I don't think we really have any concerns about Lowry, DeRozan, and even Ananobi, uh, really. The Ibaka-Valanciunas pairing alone has now played 422 minutes together, and they're a plus 9 net rating. The defensive rating for that twosome, not as strong as the fivesome as a whole at 106.4, uh, but are you starting to get more confident? Because I know you you know, you know, and I feel differently about Valanciunas' place in the starting lineup in the regular season. Uh, at least on a game-to-game -game basis. Are you starting to grow more confident that those two can be a competent pairing? Um, over the course of 82 games, sure. Um, I don't think it does anything to dissuade me from the belief that they have to get used to different 
looks or they're yes. going to have I'm to still, get still with you on that the 90 percent of their minutes together is not yeah a, not a thing. But, if you're you know playing this offensive style again we talk about this every week but if you're playing this offensive style so you're better prepared in the playoffs and you have to play lineups that you're gonna have to use you have to play those in the regular season so you're familiar with them in the playoffs too unless you're hiding all, all of your lineups for the playoffs which isn't a thing um but I, I never thought like this group and, and JV and Ibaka in particular should have been like the worst defensive starting lineup in the league or, or playing the equivalent of the worst defensive basketball in the league. Like they're somewhere in my mind between middle of the road and the bottom and, and the bottom. So, you know, 106.8, I, I don't have the defensive efficiency uh, ratings in front of me, but that you know, sort of checks out. And again, that's to the point where they've had this really tough part of their schedule and they've had this really easy part of their schedule and things are finding their level now. Um, and that makes sense to me. But, you know, again, I think they're when you get that Cleveland Golden State back to back, we might not be uh, whistling Dixie, so to speak, about uh, the results of of uh, the front court. Well, we'll see. Golden State does start Zaza Pachulia, so... I, know, I perpetually whistle. I always whistle, Dexy. Yes, uh, this is something I know yeah. about you, and, our, and yeah. our readers need to know about you, obviously. Um, yeah. Okay, so, I, I mean, I'm with you on most of that. I agree that they should probably start seeing more time. We've seen Ibaka with the bench a little bit more, especially while, during that stretch where the bench was struggling. Uh, Ibaka was the guy that Dwayne Casey was bringing back in early to try to get them going. Yeah, um, I like nice, that, by the way. It's, yeah. uh, it's a smart look, yeah. Yeah, it also makes sense because, you know, if you were if you were extending the staggering of the bigs out more, uh, Siakam is a makes sense as a fit with Valanchunas, uh, at least defensively. Siakam shooting the ball as poorly as he has... Um, I don't know. I don't know where he's going to fit on the offensive end in a playoff series where opponents will completely ignore him. But we don't need to. We don't need to worry about that yet. Because I because I think if they if it was a playoff opponent where Jonas Valanciunas wasn't um, wasn't starting, it's it would probably be a case where CJ Miles would move into the starting lineup instead of Pascal Siakam. Yeah, the Pascal Siakam momentum has uh, halted a little bit. A little bit, yeah. And, uh, you know, he still does... The thing is, and I think Dwayne Casey's fond of saying this, is hustle doesn't slump or something to that degree. He had eight rebounds in 16 minutes on Sunday, and he had three blocks. I think all of them were at the rim. He had that terrific... Skull Habesier blocked him driving, and then he blocked Skull on almost an identical play back down the other way. Um, Were Were they picked one after the other in the draft? No, I don't know. Maybe. Skull slipped. For sure. Yeah, I know. Uh, you you keep talking. I'm going to search this. Okay. Uh, just, anyway, just keep talking. No that pressure. Was, uh, so Siakam, you know, he does some hustle things that are still going to uh, be fine. And no, he, Scott went 20, 28th, Siakam 27th. That, that is back to back. That is back to back. That is. Yeah. yeah I, I was correct. Good for you. Um, Thank you. It's nothing more important in this world than being right. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Siakam has uh, struggled a little bit, and that, that's especially so on the offensive end. Shooting two threes a game under 20%, uh, 5 of 20 at the free throw line. He's obviously better than those numbers suggest, and I think DeLon Wright being back will help Siakam because it helps force more live ball turnovers and, and get out in transition. Uh, but yeah, Siakam's probably you know the one guy right now that's 
if you had to pick someone from the 11-man rotation who is not playing the best, it might be Siakam, uh, at least offensively? Yeah, uh, and that's the thing about playoff series is guys will, teams will dare people to shoot who can't shoot. Uh, and space becomes at a premium or, or is at a premium, especially if you're playing a team like Milwaukee that can, you know, guard literally everything with one step. And, uh, yeah, so we'll see a lot of, a lot of time for things to even out still. I, I think Siakam showed some signs that he's a lot be- better shooter of this, uh, than this yeah. earlier in the year and in the preseason and, uh, I think he will prove to be, but still, if you're a 30, 33% shooter, that earns you, that, that really screws things up for you in the, uh, from three, I mean. That screws things up for an offense in the playoffs. It does. If, uh, they if have, you're not like a rim running center. Yeah. Siakam has 50 games left to show them and expand that yeah. sample. Uh, speaking it's of fine. struggling bench players, two really strong games from Norman Powell. You yeah. relieved to get to use your, your Norm meme again? Uh, yeah, the sad norm meme was not as much fun. Yeah. Also, uh, are we crying gimmick infringement on Ryan Wolstaff for trying to make the OG his own OG meme? Somebody called him. Somebody Someone called did. him on it. Okay. Yeah, I, and it wasn't even me. So, um, whatever. Our whatever. Reason, our reasonable lights <laughs> yeah, uh, come yeah. into your defense. Yeah, I, uh, I'm very thankful for all the listeners. All of our sycophants. Yeah, that we're brainwashing with our stats. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Speaking of stats, uh, one more guy that we should probably touch on before we uh, wrap this up around a half an hour. Uh, OG Ananobi continues to be solid in his defensive role. He now has a bonkers plus 17.3 net rating, which is, you know, it makes Fred Van Vliet look like, I don't know, Luis Scola? Makes him blush, yeah. Yeah, Fred Van Vliet has come down to earth a little bit from being the league's leader in net rating. Uh, OG Ananobi, though, blowing away every rookie, blowing away most players in the NBA. Uh, what have you seen from Ananobi? I know he hasn't done a ton offensively lately outside of the, the one pick and roll he ran with, with Serge Ibaka the other night, which was uh, <laughs> interesting and, and a lot of fun. Uh, where are you at with Ananobi? I know he hit... Dwayne Casey said that maybe he was hitting a little bit of the rookie wall around this time last week. Uh, it certainly looks like he's rounded out of it, if that was the case. Yeah, I never really saw that, to be Me to be fair. Like, did he have some... There, I think there are some types of players who he struggles with defensively more than others. You yeah, know, quick guards. Give, yeah, give him a physical, you know, three instead of a Victor Oladipo type. Uh, but... Yeah, Oladipo and Beal are really the only guys I think that he struggled with, right? Yeah, uh, I sure. I, that, that, those are the two that jump out. Yeah, um, but like the guy shooting forty percent or whatever from three, he's a Swiss Army knife of a defender. Uh, like the, the amount that the Raptors are switching, I know we've. T- I mean, uh, I don't think we're talking about it enough. Like we've talked about it, but it's as notable as. The offensive change, I would say. Yeah, you've written about yeah. it a little bit. They, I guess yeah. the one hard, the one thing is, it's hard to quantify. Right? Hard to quantify. Yeah, that's why it's hard to to write unless you're, you know, breaking down video, and that uh, is sometimes more fun to read than uh, other things. But even then, like I've, I've looked into, I've thought about doing it before to illustrate it, but you're still, 
you know, you can say, like, anecdotally, like, look at they're switching on this possession. Uh, unless I'm going to do that for every possession, though, it's hard to it's hard to know how much they're doing yeah. differently than last year. Um, it certainly feels like they're doing it a lot more aggressively. Uh, you know, that's something that helps DeRozan. It helps, you know, C.J. Miles is a great communicator out there, w- which helps adding him to things. Jakob Pertl has, you know, I'm told, improved as a, like kind of a backline communicator. And having yeah. that center to call things out, um, who can kind of see everything, helps. And, yeah. They but anyway, lot, uh, my point... Outside of Fred Van Vliet, you know, like everyone on the team, outside of Van Vliet and Valanciunas, I guess, everyone yeah. on the team can kind of guard more than one position. Yeah, and Ananobi just allows for so much more of that. Like, so, you know, going from, you know, a cutter of a two to like even a center, which we've seen plenty this year. Uh, and the Raptors are a top 10 defensive team, and it's not a coincidence that. Ananobi is on the floor so often for this team. I thought I think he's been great lately in the same way that he was great to start the season, and his season has been awesome. And I I didn't see that with all you know due respect to Dwayne Casey, who is coaching the crap out of this team. Uh, he's I didn't see the rookie wall, and while you know I, it, these things usually come. Over over uh, a regular season, I, I haven't seen it so far. He's been a great fit for that starting lineup. Um, and, and you know, we talk about the front court improving. It's probably in, in a small part, at least, has to do with Ananobi being able to fill in some of the gaps. Yeah, and the the team rebounds like crazy with Ananobi with the starters. Uh, and yeah. that's at both ends of the floor, too. I, I, re- I mentioned in our written Raptors reason list that their 26% offensive rebound rate was, I, I called it unsustainable. That might not actually be true. Um, it's it's very extreme. The team as a team is at 21.9%, and the highest uh, over-rebounded percentage they have with any one individual on the floor is 24%. Uh, but with that five-some where, you know, Ibaka's an okay rebounder for a power forward. He's, he's not at the center position, but Valanciunas is an elite offensive rebounder. Um, Lowry can hunt them, and then OG Ananobi grabs a couple too. So, yeah, maybe they can good. sustain it. Uh, you mentioned the good job Casey's doing. I do have one gripe. Uh, the two best net ratings on the team have played the fewest minutes. Uh, Bruno Caboclo is a plus seventy six point nine still. Yeah, and has only played seven minutes. Obviously, like let's let's see more Bruno. Get your hands on the wheel, Dwayne. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We don't need to do a Bruno update. He's been Bruno. Um, been burned on yeah i will say uh, a couple of people have asked about him not doing the up and down thing anymore um you know alfonso mckinney will aggressively go up and down between the two teams uh they've got a plan that you know they have a uh, caboclo's doing this set thing and they don't want him coming up and down you also have to get permission from the players union every single time he goes up and down <laughs> uh, so i think from a paperwork perspective it's probably super annoying uh, but no they've got him kind of dialed into this plan and Hey, hey, M- Michelle, it's uh, it's Dan Tolzman again. Yeah. Uh, I have a question about Bruno. Yeah. Can we send him down again? Uh, she might get... I'm sure this isn't dealt with at Michelle Roberts' level. Um, I'm sure I can like, promise you it's not. There are people under Michelle Roberts who deal with it. Uh, but, yeah, that could get a bit tedious. Uh, okay, we've got. Uh, we could probably start to wrap this up. The Raptors this week. Uh, they have today. We're recording this Monday. The Raptors are off. They'll practice Tuesday. Uh, three games and four nights at Charlotte, at Philly, back home against Philly. You know, looking at Philly's schedule, Joel Embiid. I'm, I'm going to get to see him for the first time unless something goes awry. 
in the next little bit. I'm very excited. Who are the the all-stars of never playing in Toronto? Like, uh, Kevin Durant was in the beginning of his career. Anthony Davis Anthony had a Davis. long stretch. Yeah, uh, so I think Embiid is at least the third of those all-stars. Yeah, and the, I guess it's, it's confused some by the fact that Embiid hasn't played against <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah. But yeah, the 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 Sixers don't, you know, it's not a three day, three game and four day stretch for them. It's not either leg of a back to back. They don't, um, you know, their schedule is a little spread out this week. So they do play Christmas Day, but they've got a, a game off in between. Um, also, the idea of Joel Embiid on national TV on Christmas Day is he's it's something hilarious is going to happen for sure. Which what time is that game? Do Twelve you know? o'clock. They've got a, it's Porzingis against Embiid. Spicy. Yeah. Um, anyway, that should be a lot of fun. Uh, Joel Embiid is obviously a treat to watch, but at every stop, you know, even summer league, he didn't play. So I've never gotten to see him him live at any level of play. I'm very, very excited. Excited enough that you know a 5 p.m. game the day before Christmas is not at all annoying. Two, I'm very, I'm very much forward to it. Two days before Christmas. Christmas before. is a two day thing. I don't know. I have does, like does Christmas get the 24th to the 26th? 24th and 25th for me, but uh, that might be, like, uh, my parents were separated and divorced, um, so I had, like, one day with one and one day with the other, so that might be why Christmas is two days in my head. But people, I'm vaguely aware of, you know, how non-Jewish families handle the holidays, and I think, you know, to refute my own snottiness there, I think, like, Christmas Eve dinner is often a thing. I mean, look, I don't. I can't speak for people who don't have families of divorce, but I'd imagine you have to do two nights once you get married and have two families to keep happy and see the kids and all that stuff too. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eric, how is uh, Hanukkah six days in? Um, good. I had some latkes. They were they were good. Um, I it. <laughs> uh, maybe 2018 is the year that Blake comes to the potato. It is not. I can. I can almost surely yeah. promise you. Um, no, so, uneventful. To, to refresh me, um, and this is something that I learned over time. As you, you know, Cambridge, Ontario does not have a large Jewish population, <laughs> but you figure out over time. It, it's a little surprising. Hanukkah is pretty low on the holiday yeah, power rankings. This is this is something I'm passionate about, and I think everybody in the Raptors media has heard me rant about this. Like. Hanukkah is not a big three holiday yeah. in Judaism. Is it Judaism. fourth, fifth? It might be fourth. Okay. Um, so we got Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, and Passover right. are the big three. In that uh, order? Mm, I'd probably say Yom Kippur, uh, Passover, and Yom Kippur is definitely the holiest day of the year. Okay. Um, and the biggest bummer. Uh, okay. and Passover and Rosh Hashanah, you can make different cases for, but Passover is another eight day holiday. So it, it takes up more time and there's more, there's more to do with it. Cause that's the holiday where you can't eat leavened bread. Um, and everything has to be kosher for Passover if you're, you know, keeping a hut, which is different than normal kosher. Okay. Um, so it's, it's more of an undertaking, and I think the dinners, uh, which are called seders, they're, they're more formalized, I think, than Rosh Hashanah, which is just sort of, not to say it's not important, but it's your standard, you know, New Year, let's uh, be good people, this year's going to be a good one, um, type, type banger. Cool. New Year, New Year. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, 
Hanukkah, because of the Christmas thing, uh, or the, they happen around the same time, mostly for the kids, we try to play it up. Uh, I shouldn't speak for the whole Jewish uh, religion since I'm a terrible representative uh, for <laughs> it. But, um, I, I think because of its proximity to Christmas and, and, you know, children, you know, obviously being inundated by Christmas gifts and the commercialization and capitalization of uh, Christmas, I think uh, certainly on this side of the world, we often try to make the two holidays have an equal weight but how, I, I how much of that, that how much of the blame for that falls on seth cohen for just like blatantly trying to merge them uh i will never blame seth cohen for anything <laughs> all right. um, okay i think we can uh i think we, we're probably at a point where we can wrap this up right? black hood. you have Pardon any black hood likes? the black hood uh so so riverdale is done for uh, until january 17th Sometime the week of January 17th, myself, Caitlin, and Dom will release an all-Riverdale version of this uh, podcast, and we'll label it well so the people who don't want to hear about Riverdale won't have to listen to it. Uh, but yeah, that's that's coming. We're going to save it for the lead-in to the second half of the season. But do you have you have hot takes, Eric? Um, they didn't catch the Black Hood. Obviously. Yeah, that's... Uh... I said that, that to someone is... on the weekend, and they were like shocked. And I was like, "Do you have you watched TV before?" Yeah, like that's you don't make the bad guy of your season somebody who you introduced. I mean, maybe Riverdale does. I shouldn't put <laughs> Riverdale past lazy plotting. Well, look, um, it's not like Jason Blossom. It's not like Mister Blossom was a was a big character, character, but he was at least around. Yeah. Like. What was his first appearance? The second or third episode yeah. or something like that, I imagine. Yeah, you can't but, have Spencer come in and then a minute later. Yeah. And also, like, Archie's not going to be wrong about the eyes. Yeah. Yeah, you have a traumatic experience like that. Like, and they, they even, like, laid it plain. They did the flash cut. It's yeah. Like, okay, it's obviously not him. Also, you don't wrap up your main storyline in the middle of a season, cleanly. Yes, unless... You telegraph that you're going to, and there's a second mystery attached to that. Yeah. Anyway, um, the Black Hood has not been caught. Yeah, and it's Betty's dad. You think so? Could be. I think it's Betty's That's brother my... still. It's it's gotten a little too convoluted to be Betty's brother, but it's Betty's brother. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Somebody uh, related to Betty, obviously. Yeah, well, obviously, maybe not obviously, there. but like the the plot has become increasingly about her. Versus Archie. Even though it started out being about Archie. Yeah. But maybe that's just because the story is told through Archie and everything's about Archie to Archie. Yeah. Because he sucks. Um, <laughs> but now he gets uh he gets both uh Betty and Veronica. So that's good. Obviously. Free Reggie is what I say, you know. <laughs> uh once the Sabrina thing coming. Oh, I don't, I don't have no? a date for it, but yeah, Sabrina was originally <laughs> supposed to show up at the end of season one of Riverdale. They like had because yeah. Greendale is right across Sweetwater River from Riverdale, and that's where Sabrina takes place. Um, anyway, yeah, so apparently I, I they're they're launching that as like a gritty Riverdale style version of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which just sounds uh, like Charmed, which one thousand percent I will watch. Yeah, um, I, I ask because uh, I was tweeting about my cat as I do. Uh, a few days ago, and, and uh, editor in chief of Athletic Toronto, James Myrtle, uh, asked if I, who was filing me or my cat, and 
I said she has sassier copy. And I think he sent me back a gif of the cat from the Melissa Joan Hart, uh, Sabrina, the teenage witch classic. Uh, I don't know much about that show, but my girlfriend identified the cat as such. Um, Salem, apparently he was the cat's name. I believe. Yeah, Salem. Yeah. Apparently it was like an animatronic cat. Um, or was it, I don't know. Was it a real I th- cat? I think so. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it was definitely not a real cat. Yeah, I did not take James for a uh, Sabrina fan, but who among us can resist the charms? He of... probably just opened um, up Twitter and typed cat in the GIF window. Uh, I think, it, you know, MJH, baby. MJH? Melissa Joan Hart. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that was uh, the Friday Night Block was terrific. Uh, we should probably wrap this up. The 30-minute no, podcast is now so about 45 to... minutes talking about... We... We have so much more to talk about. Yeah. Man, it's too bad we weren't doing this podcast when Boy Meets World rebooted as Girl Meets World. We could have had a hot take on that, too. Um, I uh, would not. That one didn't get gritty and teenish like Riverdale, though. That one got, like, like Disney Channel-ish, apparently. We all must choose our paths. Okay, let's say goodbye. Yeah, that that should be our path. Uh, We're not sure if we're going to do this podcast next week. Um, Obviously, we normally drop it on Tuesdays. That would interfere with christmas a little bit but the raptors do play the 26th and the 27th so maybe we'll do a later episode or we might just save it for the new year um either way uh, there will probably be another written version of the reasonable list sometime before the new year where we kind of wrap up 2017 uh and if there's you know if you have high high demand for this podcast next week or you know i i don't know about eric but me in particular if there's anything you want tackled uh from a you know yeah, anything. I don't know. It's Christmas time. Tell me. We can, give me we your can wish just list. do one. I'll, I'll write about whatever we, you want. We can just do one where we drink eggnog the whole time. Eggnog is Let me gross. Guess. Yeah, I, I, I was about to say you don't drink eggnog. Yeah. How do I, I mean, drink? I'll do an episode like that if the people demand it, but I won't, yeah. I won't enjoy it. Yeah, let's okay. throw both of our careers away. All right. Eric, Happy holidays, you, you have a nice week. Enjoy the last couple of days of Hanukkah. Enjoy your doubleheader on uh, Christmas Day. Thank you. Thank you, Blake, and uh, a Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, and to everyone listening, thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you uh, sometime after the holidays. Happy holidays. It's too late to be a reasonable man.